Hello, welcome to the For the Love of Film podcast. I'm your host, Scott David Chase. On this episode, I'll be talking about four films, two films that I saw theatrically and then two films that I saw on home video for the first time. Uh, Two of the films are quite ridiculous. Uh, Two of the films fairly serious in tone, although some people might say one or both of them are ridiculous um, as well. Uh, so I saw The Happy Time Murders, The Meg, uh, Night of Cups, and This is Where I Leave You. Um, as I had said in the last couple episodes, um, uh, because Netflix has changed, or Netflix, sorry, MoviePass has changed their uh, membership policy, I going forward, I, I, I'm going to be doing a mix of uh, reviews of films I've seen theatrically and films seeing on home video. For the home video one, I think I'm mostly going to be doing films that I see uh, for the first time. You know, not necessarily reviewing classic home video uh, movies. Um, and, and this was uh, I had just in the last six weeks or so moved into a new place and was organizing my my Blu-rays because I'm someone who still has quite a few physical movies. Um, although with movie pass, I've purchased a lot less Blu-rays slash DVDs in the last year or so. And, uh, I did, I've come across quite a few films that I bought in the last few years that I had still not seen. And, um, so I, I decided to watch a couple of them and, uh, you know, and this is helping me also to pare down my movie collection because if it's a movie that I'm not going to watch over and over again, I'm going to go ahead and sell those movies after I watch them to, you know, the local record store while while they still buy DVDs and Blu-rays. So, uh, having said that, the two movies I saw in the theater were The Happy Time Murders and The Meg. Hmm. Excuse me. And the two movies I saw, I I watched home video were Night of Cups and This is Where I Leave You. Um, so first off, The Happy Time Murders was, uh, we'll talk about that first. So it's, it's a film directed by Brian Henson, the son of the late, great Jim Henson, the creator of the Muppets and, you know, so much, you know, Fraggle Rock, The Dark Crystal, uh, Labyrinth, um, also created some of the creature effects for the original Star Wars trilogy, um, most notably the Yoda puppet, um, in The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, but yeah, this was, uh, it's described as a black comedy, um, That's in the broadest sense, yes. Although I, I can say legitimately, I did not laugh once during this film. Um, the premise for the Happy Time Murders is—I mean, it's basically a copy of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, in that, uh, but instead of animated characters, it's puppets. So puppets 
exist in the world with human beings. They interact. Um, they are looked at as kind of cl- second class citizens and, um, uh, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a murder, uh, going, uh, going, you know, there's, there's a murderer going around killing, uh, puppets who were cast members of a television show 15 years earlier. And two detectives, or a detective, uh, and a private investigator, uh, the private investigator being a former detective and the partner of the current detective, um, have to team up to try and solve the murder. And the way I just described it is far more intriguing than the actual film is. Um, Melissa McCarthy plays the human and I do like Melissa McCarthy. I'm not, I, I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan of her films across the board. Um, I, I don't know. I think a lot of her starring vehicles are, somewhat generic. Uh, I mean, I liked her in life of the party. That was a movie that I saw earlier this year and reviewed and, uh, but not an amazing film, but that was far and away a better film than this movie. Um, I, I hated this movie. Um, the, the whole kind of premise of it is, okay, we're going to have puppets in it, which, you know, everyone, associates puppets with fun and children's stuff, but they're going to be acting like people, but not only that, but they're going to be acting disgusting. Um, and the problem is that's all there is to this movie. Um, it's none of the disgusting stuff is funny. Um, there is some violence, which is, you know, so somewhat shocking. Um, just because, You've never seen it with puppets before. Um, I mean, there's no blood. They have stuffing that's everywhere. But it's it's very bizarre. Tonally, it's all over the place. Um, Melissa McCarthy has none of her usual charm in this. And, and I don't fault her. I, the editing in this was just all over the place. And the writing is abysmal. Um, you know, uh, Brian Henson has directed a couple of the Muppet films and, uh, you know, they, some of the, some of the press behind this movie, uh, or some of the, you know, the info behind it was saying this is a passion project he's worked on for a while. And I'm just kind of like, really? Like, this is something you were passionate about. I get wanting to try something different and get out of the, you know, the shadow of his very talented, um, father, you know, uh, Jim Henson has almost been deified at this point. Um, but I just felt like this is supposed, this uh, was trying to be crazy and filthy just for that sake. And it, it, I don't know with, in, in 2018 with the internet, the way it is and, uh, everything being so extreme, this was just bland. Um, and again, I, I didn't find any of it funny. Uh, the, the human cast was completely wasted. Um, 
Maya Rudolph is the only one who was mildly charming, but Maya Rudolph is a lot of fun in pretty much everything that she's in. She was, you know, most well-known as a former Saturday Night Live cast member, and she plays the uh, puppet private investigators, uh, long-suffering secretary slash eventual love interest in this um, uh, you know, like I said, Melissa McCarthy completely wasted. Uh, Joel McHale shows up later in the movie. Uh, really has nothing to do. He's an FBI agent who you know butts heads with the two detectives and eventually becomes friends with them in the last scene. Um, he's he's a funny actor and he's given nothing funny to do in this. And Elizabeth Banks, who plays the one human cast member of the television show from 15 years ago who, you know, the, the cast members are getting murdered and she was the one human member. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Banks given almost nothing to do as well. And fairly unlikable in this, uh, you know, some, some people would say that's the point of the character, but I mean, it's a thumbnail sketch of a character. There's nothing fleshed out at all. Um, Leslie David Baker, who plays Stanley on The Office, plays the uh, the you know the chief of police, and uh, reveals that he. I mean, this is the only thing I've seen him in other than The Office, and uh, love him as Stanley, and he's terrible in this. I don't know if it's because of him as an actor. Or because of the role, but um, he's he's just not good in this uh, very amateurish. Just it, it was a, this movie was a complete waste of my time. Uh, when I was leaving the theater, there was a group of people walking ahead of me, and they were kind of talking about it as well. And I just said, "Did you guys go see that puppet movie as well?" And they said, "Yep." And I said, what did you think of it? And I said, oh, we hated it. That was awful. And uh, uh, I would agree. It's, uh, you know, if you're looking for gross out, irreverent humor with puppets, uh, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone already did it, you know, more than a decade ago with Team America. Uh, and, and that movie took took the extreme stuff further, but was also funny. I mean, it's been, it's been uh, over a decade since I've seen it. I saw it in the theater and that was the only time I saw it, but I remember laughing. This movie just isn't funny at all. And it's not interesting. And, uh, all of the characters are unlikable. It's, I honestly, I can't think of anything redeemable about... There was one puppet uh, early on. There's a there's a, a vulture who owns a, a puppet porn shop. And I thought the puppet itself was quite interesting looking. I had never seen something quite with those textures. And I, I thought it was cool. And, um, spoiler alert, that puppet gets killed off in that scene. So we don't see him for the rest of the movie. That was the only thing of note in the entire film that I enjoyed or even remotely remembered. Um, yeah, this was, this was certainly one of the worst films I've seen so far this year. 
Uh, and, you know, I'm getting close to 100 films I've seen theatrically this year. Uh, Happy Timers was trash. I would give it two out of ten stars. Um, uh, yeah, I, I would say avoid it pretty much at all costs. Uh, the, the next movie that I saw was The Meg, which, if you're not familiar with it, it's the, the giant shark movie of the summer. Uh, the Meg is short for the Megalodon, which was a prehistoric shark that obviously, um, as far as we know, is extinct now. And uh, Jason Statham and a cast of other, uh, you know, B and C list celebrities inadvertently, uh, they, you know, they, they dive down in, into a subterranean trench at the bottom of the Marianas Trench and uh, open up a pathway for this shark to, to come out. And it goes and terrorizes, uh, you know, the, the area around where they're working. They're, they're working in this deep sea exploratory lab. Basically, it's funded by Rain Wilson, uh, another office alumni uh, who played Dwight Schrute on that. Uh, this is a very different character for him, but um, and uh, Lee Bingbing, uh, she plays a scientist, and um, I mean, there's a lot of exposition I could go into about how this all comes into play because Jason Statham isn't initially there, but once the shark uh, starts wreaking havoc, even though we don't know about the shark at first, he's brought into to help rescue because he's one of the only people who knows how to do these deep sea rescues. Um, you know, uh, let's see, uh, Ruby Rose is also in it. Winston Chow. And then Cliff Curtis, the very talented New Zealand actor. Um, you know, it's an excuse to just get a giant shark to terrorize and destroy a bunch of stuff. It's, um, I mean, based on the preview, I knew it was going to be a ridiculous film. Uh, the problem, that my biggest problem with it is, it, I didn't think it was ridiculous enough. Like, it was too ridiculous to be taken seriously. Um, the CG is better in this than in the film Deep Blue Sea, which came out, you know, again, about a decade ago, and that was another crazy shark attack movie um, that mostly takes place underwater. Uh, it wasn't as ridiculous as that. Uh, from what I'm told, it's not as ridiculous as any of the Sharknado films, none of which I've seen. Um, uh, basically, no film since, you know, Jaws was the first big shark attacking movie. And every, you know, few years, there's a sh another shark movie made. And none of them can touch Jaws either with financial you know, success or uh, artistic achievement. Uh, Jaws kind of stands on its own. And this, this movie, The Meg, was a cross between Jaws and uh, The Abyss, the James Cameron film. Uh, it, it was fun. It was silly fun. It, it, it didn't go nearly as far into the ridiculous as I had kind of hoped it would. Um, 
the again the tone was kind of all over the place um the cg shark or sharks sorry spoiler there's two of them um but you don't find out till halfway through um uh the cg sharks look much better than the sharks did in deep blue sea um and this, I mean, the nice thing about this was this was a co-production uh, between the United States and China, so there are uh, more Asian actors in this than you would normally see in one of these dumbed-down American uh, sci-fi horror romps. Uh, and you know, the bulk of the film takes place off the coast of China, so. Uh, you know, it, it was fun. I was definitely entertained through the entirety of, you know, the almost two hours and it's doing well. It's a fun, mindless summer movie, but, uh, I kind of wish it had been a, a bit more ridiculous. Um, yeah, it, it was pretty much exactly what I was expecting from the trailer. It, I was hoping it was going to be more ridiculous, uh, but it was slightly more watchable than I expected it to be, if that makes any sense. Um, it was dumb fun. Uh, not super realistic at all, although it, it tried to make the science in this film seem plausible. And I, I, I've listen to a couple different review shows that have talked about it and they're like, Oh yeah, the science really holds up in this. Like it, it doesn't at all. But, uh, the, if you use less techno jargon and say it with a straight face, uh, I guess some people think, Oh, that, that makes sense. The science in this doesn't make sense at all. But having said that it's a giant shark movie, uh, if that's what you're looking for, uh, it's exactly what you're going to get with this film. You know, I would give the Meg, uh, I would give the Meg a five out of 10, uh, uh, almost a six, but, um, nah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a six. Uh, you know, it's one of the few Jason Statham films I've seen in the theater. And, uh, yeah, it it was uh, it was fun. I don't know. I don't have much else to say about it other than that. Um, it was just uh, yeah, it, it was entertainment. So so those are the two films I saw in the theater this week, uh, and then the two films that I watched on home video. One was Night of Cups which uh, was actually, it's a 2015 film uh, written and directed by Terrence Malick, who uh, Terrence Malick, uh, most well-known for directing the film Badlands with uh, Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek in the 1970s. And then he did, um, he did, uh, was it, I think it was Days of Heaven? Uh, yeah, Days of Heaven. After that, uh, and, yeah, so Badlands was 73, Days of Heaven was 78, and then he took a 
20-year hiatus before coming back with the Thin Red Line, which uh, the Thin Red Line, uh, one of my favorite war films of all time. Uh, the Thin Red Line, unfortunately, had the the misfortune or the poor timing to come out at the same year that Saving Private Ryan did. So it was the other long, gestating World War II epic film. Uh, none of the none of the actors who are in Thin Red Line were in Saving Pri- Private Ryan or vice versa, even though there was almost nine months uh, separation from the time, the, the shooting time. But one of the rules for both films was if you worked on one, you couldn't work on the other. So um, the Thin Red Line is a longer film than Saving Private Ryan. It's it's nearly three hours. It's huge ensemble cast. There's not one main character, although Jim Caviezel, who who went on to, to play Jesus Christ in The Passion of the Christ, uh, Jim Caviezel has a, a pretty substantial role in it. Um, but The Thin Red Line is interesting and sort of set the template going forward for how most of Terrence Malick's films in the past 20 years have been, where it's not so much about the plot. It's about the characters. Uh, most, there are long passages with no dialogue, just voiceover, um, which this film night of cups that I'm talking about right now is pretty much exclusively that, um, Knight of Cups was frustrating, and I will say I I, had, I, I bought it sight unseen. I, I I'm a fan of Terrence Malick's work. He did a movie called The New World, which is a retelling of the uh, Pocahontas uh, story, uh, and. I, I really enjoy that film as well, but that also carries the the voiceover uh, kind of filmmaking it, more so than the Thin Red Line, but less than Night of Cups. And um, uh, so, a year previous uh, in twenty in in twenty sixteen, no twenty seventeen, I bought the most. I, I purchased the most recent. Terrence Malick film on Blu-ray called Song for Song. And, you know, again, it was a movie I hadn't seen before it came out. It was, it was fairly inexpensive. The week came out, bought it, and it's pretty much just follows uh, four characters who intertwine and become uh, four different couples. Oh, you know, the, the two men, are both involved with the two different women. Uh, and it takes place pretty much exclusively behind the scenes at different concerts. And uh, there are several musicians, uh, probably most notable, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who play themselves backstage. And I think it was Bonnaroo. But again, it's mostly voiceover. And uh, that movie was made after this movie, Night of Cups. But I, for, for whatever reason, I when I bought the Blu-ray, I watched it right then and there. I had 
purchased Knight of Cups beforehand and kind of just tucked it away in my films, not intentionally not watching it, just never got around to it. And even when I watched it, when I finally got around to watching it this week, it wasn't something that I was like, oh, I'd love to see that. Uh, it was just, uh, well, I haven't watched it. It's still had the, the shrink wrap on it, and I need to get around to watching this. So I decided to watch it. Um, there's, It's funny. My buddy Greg, who I've seen a lot of movies over the years with, uh, would absolutely hate this film uh, because, you know... I, as he would say, nothing happened in this movie. And that's true. Uh, there is really no plot to speak of. It is, uh, you know, a lot of the characters don't even have names. It's kind of a, we're just following Christian Bale, uh, his unnamed character, walking through mostly abandoned buildings and cities just in a dreamlike state. Uh, there's mostly voiceover narration, but there are large passages where nothing is being said. And, uh, sorry, that's my dog Zoe uh, letting me know she wants to go out, but she's gonna have to wait till we, till I finish talking about one more movie. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's mostly Christian Bale walking around in cities, looking around, um, or kind of somewhat ignoring various women in his life. Um, there's a, there's a lot of different actresses that, uh, you know, he, he, he has these little vignettes with, and, uh, most of them it's clear are some sort of romantic relationship, but it, it there's no explanation as to time frame, his real connection with him. I mean, none of them, are given names, uh, you know, Kate, Kate Blanchett is the only one who it's implied was, was his wife, but now that they're not together anymore. Um, this movie visually it's, it's beautiful. And, and there's a being, being a painter and illustrator myself, I find, I found a lot of this film very visually captivating and kind of was, okay with the fact that there's not a plot per se um your mind fills in a lot of the gaps of the possibilities of uh the stories between these characters and i enjoyed it but certainly not a film for everyone uh certainly i would say first and foremost you have to you would really need to be a terrence malick fan to appreciate this film and even then I think it it's pushing the boundaries of who's going to like this movie or not. Um, it's almost the cinematic equivalent of background music. Um, it's it's more about feeling than anything that is, that is going on. And um, you know, it was nice to see both Brian Dennehy and Wes Bentley in film they're both actors you know one of them Brian Dennehy being much older uh and Wes Bentley a younger actor who who I've seen in uh quite a few 
small independent films. Uh, nice to see them in in something like this. But uh, yeah, it's Night of Cups. Tough, tough movie to uh, to really get a wide audience. And and Terrence Malick's films the last decade have become more and more niche. And um, I you know I I think they keep getting greenlit because he's a renowned filmmaker, but, uh, you know, the, the, the films that he did that are really widely respected that were somewhat successful are 40 years old now. So I'm glad he's making movies like this. I don't know how financially they keep getting made. Cause you know, these movies tend to cost millions of dollars and tend to make, um, you know, a fraction of their budgets back theatrically. So, um, yeah, I, I, The Night of Cups, really tough to recommend to anyone who's not familiar with Terrence Malick's work. I would give it a 6 out of 10 for myself being a fan of his, but the general movie going public, I would probably give it a, a, a 4 out of 10. Um, oh. Yes, yeah, Zoe, we're going to go soon. Relax. Um, and then the last film that I saw, um, <laughs> I, this was a movie that I bought at a gas station a week and a half ago, um, uh, just on a whim, they, you know, there's a lot of gas stations now, or at least a lot of the gas stations I stop at it have little racks of DVDs and Blu-rays that, uh, you know, previously viewed. And, and this was one of them. Although when I opened it, I realized it was not previously viewed. It still had all the factory seals on it. And, you know, it was five bucks. Um, this is movie. This is where I leave you. Uh, which, um, again, I, you know, I asked him after I saw it, um, uh, Greg had seen several years ago. I remember seeing the previews for it and was thinking I'd like to see that and then didn't get around to seeing it. It's from 2014. Um, back then I wasn't seeing as many movies theatrically as I do now. So that's understandably why I didn't get to see it. And then, you know, um, it just, it's a movie that fell through the cracks. Um, it, uh, it cost nineteen million, made forty one, so it wasn't a failure. But um, it was really marketed as a as a um, kind of a silly, breezy comedy, and it's really not. It's more of a drama than a comedy. I mean, there are certainly comedic elements to it, but uh, and I think the big part of it is the 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 two leads for certain, uh, Jason Bateman and. Uh, Tina Fey are known primarily for comedy and these, these are serious roles for both of them. And, uh, Jason Bateman, I knew I'd seen him in some other dramatic stuff before, but this is probably the first thing I remember seeing Tina Fey in and was really surprised at, uh, how good an actress she actually is. And I knew she's very funny. Um, but, uh, I liked her in this. It was, um, you know, the the patriarch of this family passes away and the adult children all come home uh, to to uh, pay their respects. And uh, uh, Jane Fonda is the mother. And, you know, they're, they're all, their adult relationships are all kind of on full display. And we see how unhappy they all are. Um, so, uh, Jane, Jane Fonda plays the mother, um, 
this this actor Corey Stoll, uh, who I've seen in some other stuff, he plays the he plays the older brother, which is interesting because he's actually younger than Jason Bateman in real life. But because he's bald, I think they cast him to play the older brother. But he's about five years younger than Jason Bateman. And then uh, Adam Driver, uh, who you know uh, from the HBO show Girls, a lot of films uh, recently, and you know he plays Kylo Ren in the new Star Wars movies. This was a fun thing to see him in because he's someone I know definitely can do dramatic roles, and this was this was kind of a light role for him. So it was interesting to see him play something lighter lighter than normal, and then seeing Jason Bateman and Tina Fey play something heavier than normal. Um, yeah, Adam Driver was in Black Klansman, which I talked about in the last episode, but um, and then uh, kind of a weird uh, side note character um timothy oliphant um plays a, a character who had a traumatic brain injury during adolescence and ne- you know never never recovered from that i mean he's not uh uh you know he's a, he, he's a he's a capable person but just there are certain things he can't do and so he never left uh, the house that he grew up in. He was their neighbor across the street and Tina Fey's boyfriend when they were teenagers. Um, very different role for Timothy Oliphant to play. Um, uh, nice to see him in that. And, you know, Rose Rose Byrne, another act, actress that I like a lot, um, plays a, you know, quasi-love interest of Jason Bateman. Um this movie wasn't as funny as I thought it might have been. Not to say it wasn't funny, but it wasn't as uh, kind of slapsticky, ridiculous as I was expecting it to be. Uh, but I was far more emotionally invested in it than I was expecting to be as well. Uh, far more dramatic than than it was marketed as. And really kind of a pleasant surprise. Uh, like I said, the movie... Did okay at the box office, but uh, I think it's a movie that most people just aren't aware of. Uh, uh, this is where I leave you. Um, a really uh, a, a solid film, and uh, you know if if you are looking for you know a solid family comedic drama uh, to watch some night on Netflix or. You know, Amazon Video or Hulu or however you watch movies on home video. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Uh, I'd give it a solid 7 out of 10. Uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. So those are the movies that I saw this week. And uh, yeah, I'm going to continue to mix seeing films in the theater and stuff on home video. I appreciate you listening and I'll talk to you next time.